Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. 
This week marks the eighth anniversary of the collapse of Rana Plaza, an eight-story garment factory housing thousands of workers, making clothes for some of the world's famous brands, which led to the death of more than 1,000 people. It seems like an appropriate moment to look back at our BOF Professional Summit, Closing Fashion Sustainability Gap, where we had an in-depth conversation with a group of leading experts to address issues around workers' rights in fashion supply chains. Ananya Bhattacharjee is International Coordinator at the Asia Floor Wage Alliance of trade unions and labor rights activists focused on addressing poverty wages and gender discrimination, who joined us from Bangalore, India. Based in Los Angeles, Aisha Berenblatt is another Sustainability Council member and founder and chief executive of Remake, the advocacy group behind the Pay Up campaign, which highlighted brands that refused to pay for completed orders when the pandemic hit. And Ritu Sethi is an expert on South Asia's traditional arts crafts, and textiles based in New Delhi. She is the founder trustee of the Craft Revival Trust. These three leaders in the space around workers' rights spoke to our London editor, Sarah Kent, at the BOF Professional Summit. Before we dive into what the industry needs to do to tackle so many of these labor issues, I wanted to talk a little bit about why we're still facing systemic problems of labor abuse. And Ananya, I wondered if I could start with you. You know, you spent your career advocating to try and fix these issues. Why is fashion still failing to protect its workers? Well, fashion, uh, fast fashion industry, or one can say really fashion industry as a whole, because even when they're not fast fashion, they're mimicking the fast fashion business model. Uh, The fashion industry business model is really at the heart of the problem. And so till that business model changes, it's unlikely to, we are unlikely to see fundamental changes. And this business model, as we know, is the model of the global supply chain where the supply chain is driven by multinationals who are not accountable within any legal jurisdiction. And uh, they have basically covered themselves, uh, protected themselves from uh, liability and responsibility by just stepping outside of national jurisdictions and pretending like the supplier factories are just there making stuff and they're just buying from them. So it's a very sort of, you know, a distant relationship uh, and not really admitting to the fact that they are responsible for all the working conditions in the supplier factories because they are supremely involved in the production process and all that goes along with the production process, which means workers' wages, their production targets, how fast they have to work, how cheaply they have to work, and so on and so forth. So this business model is really a problematic one where the multinationals are well protected. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that this isn't just a a fast fashion problem because Ritu, I know you, you know, you work very closely with craftspeople, with artisans who work on the luxury market. You know, are, do you see the same thing playing out at a luxury level? Well, that is what is really interesting. 
because you speak to craftspeople, you speak to Karigar, and you find out that they are embroidering, weaving, block printing for some of the largest luxury companies in the world. And yet, when you see the label, it has nothing to do with India. And this actually is because in India, we have the largest number of makers and highly skilled makers who weave, who embroider, and they know exactly where their product is going, but they are the hidden end of the chain, poorly paid. And before this, I was just talking to some of them. And in fact, one of them said, we are their invisible chefs. And I think COVID-19 has really brought it to the forefront. And what it has brought to the forefront is because they were invisible, they suffered greatly in this time because work that they had in hand was canceled, not picked up, orders, you know, raw material in-house and salaries just cut, payments just cut and most of the work is job work. So it is per piece, a per piece rate irrespective of how much work has gone into it. So it is a dismal situation, but I feel that at this point in time, that for the first time we have really taken a pause and at least in India, when we saw those hundreds and millions of skilled people, and I hate using the word migrants, they were skilled workers, skilled carriers, left without salary, left without wages, without food, who walked home, I have a feeling that this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to make visible. To, and I think being stuck at home has also made us more people-centric and more conscious of human connections. So I hope this is the time. I hope Ananya will find some hope in this situation where we can make some kind of change and some conscious, mindful change. I think that's such a valuable point because having this topic be top of mind at the moment is so important because for a long time it, it, it was, I think, superseded by sustainability conversations that focused on environmental impact, certainly in the last few years. Um, and Aisha, I know you have been really at the forefront of efforts, you know, within the Western market to, to get people talking about it, to build consumer awareness. Um, and I'm curious if you share this optimism. And, and also, you know, I think it's important, and Aisha, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on this, to note that th this is really an international issue. You know, it, it, these issues are the same in L.A. as they are in India. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm just so struck, Sarah, by the fact that you have three South Asians on this panel, Ananya, Ritu, and myself. You know, I grew up, as you know, in Pakistan, and, you know, we were all one country. And I really do think that the fact that all of us have spent our career fighting for the makers, the high-skilled people who essentially are hidden from the consciousness of customers and citizens is because we see ourselves in their narrative and we care in a fundamentally different way. And so much of Remake's story is rebuilding that 
empathy and connection with Western customers. Because as Ritu said, you know, the faster and cheaper our clothes have been coming to us, the more fragmented supply chains have gotten, the more um, she is essentially hidden from our consciousness. And you know this, Sarah, I always say she, because predominantly whether artisan or sitting in factories, it's women, women of color who make our clothes and bring our fashion to life. Most Western customers have no understanding, you know, so much of the work that we do in high schools and universities and educating everyday young women who care so very much about gender justice don't even recognize that the actual makers of their clothes are women in their early 20s. And so I am much like Ritu, very hopeful, hopeful because in the last year, you know, we as the people behind the Pay Up campaign were simply uh, astonished by the awakening of the South Asian diaspora, first and foremost, but really of citizens and workers locking arms in solidarity to say, this is not right. You know, you as fashion brands have the money, you are to pay up, you are not to shore your own balance sheets at the cost of black and brown women. I also am very hopeful because we're starting to finally see some political will. You know, whether you think about the call for having someone adjudicate in Leicester, the Garment Worker Protection Act right here in California that would eliminate the peace rate system, the conversations around mandatory human rights due diligence coming out of Germany. Because here's the thing, it's a $2.6 trillion industry. It's completely deregulated and it's deregulated by design. And we know that the industry is not going to guard itself because for too long they have dehumanized this workforce, treated the makers of their clothes as a cost center rather than an asset, and without smart regulation, without actually assuring that the very people who bring this product to life are paid fairly, we're going to get nowhere. Because the business model, whether luxury or mass market, is set to exploit people. We saw this era in the sustainability index of, of business of fashion, right? The luxury brands and the high street brands did just as badly when it comes to worker rights. So it turns out that regardless of what you sell to the end customer, the people at the other end of the supply chain are paid no better. Can I just add to what Aisha said? Yeah. Because actually what surprises me is the short-sightedness involved. Because at the end of the day, strategic thinking for a company of any size, especially, not especially, any size and anywhere, and is not about the color, the trend, and the style and the cut. It's about listening to the consumer and being future ready. And if you don't listen, the Voices are changing. There is a call for change. And consumers are talking about it. Any designer interview I read now, they start by first saying, oh, we paid all our employees. We didn't yeah. cut any, we didn't cut any salaries. We continued through the lockdown. That is how it all starts. So people at the head of these large corporations need to start listening. Because now the digital footprint, we have gone digital. In India, 90% of the country is covered by digital. A smartphone costs 5,000 rupees. Everybody is on WhatsApp and another social media. All you need is a tweet, an Instagram post, 
And before you know it, the myth-making, the storytelling is in trouble. So it calls for thinking at that level. And it's good business to be good to your employees, to your makers, to the practitioners, right down to tier three and four of your supply. I so agree with you, Ritu. And as I think about the racial, racial reckoning that's happened here in the United States, the conversation of you know, colonization and the history of fashion in the UK, you are seeing a different customer that is starting to understand the connections between these issues. They're done with the fashion brands antics around, you know, performative posts, you know, this week it's that we really are standing in solidarity with stopping Asian hate. Last summer it was, we are really fighting, you know, uh, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, the customers are savvy enough to say, look, one Instagram post and you're not going to get away with it. Your supply chain is predominantly built on profiting off the backs of Asian, brown, and black people. So don't pretend that you care about what's happening here when the very structures that are baked into your supply chain perpetuate a lot of this racism and gender-based violence. And, you know, I, I do think that it is a business imperative and COVID has certainly shown us that supply chain resilience in itself is at stake. We've seen so many supply chain ruptures from Myanmar to what's happening with the cotton conversation in the Uyghur region that, you know, if you are going to dance in places where there are no rights and labor protections and human rights abuses, then at some point the chickens have started to come home to roost to say, you know what, Uh, operating in those kinds of environments mean now you can't get your goods into Western markets. So I do think there's a business imperative to fix this. It's really powerful the way the internet has started to sort of pierce the veil of marketing and drive consumer engagement. But I'm curious, you know, Anani, you made this really powerful point that um, this way of operating is baked into the business model. So what, what needs to change? How do we fix this? How do we change the model? Well, there is a very extreme imbalance of power in the global supply chain. And I think that over COVID, I think we have watched some of the conversations about how unilateral and unfair the contracts are between the brands and their suppliers. There's a unilateralism that is being practiced by brands that are by any standards reprehensible and therefore we need to bring back balance to the supply chain and this balance actually has a cost to it and that is that brands who have and most of the brands have made enormous profits which are outsized. We are not against profits in business, but extreme profits, extreme greed, which, you know, there is a element of uh, such absolute uncaring in that profit that one has to, at some point, the the global uh, global conscience is going to, you know, stick up for the the downtrodden in this extreme greed 
that uh, pervades the global supply chain. So the so more balance needs to be brought into the supply chain, which means that something we have all said for many years, this is nothing new, that brands have to do a few things. One is pay the actual cost of production, which gives workers living wages and a life of dignity. Second, they have to start producing uh, their goods in a way that's environmentally sustainable. And this doesn't only have to do with the materials they use, which is of course there, or the extreme consumption of water. I mean, all those toxic things, we can go on about it. But it is also the reliance on overconsumption and overproduction, which is part of their business model. So, so increasingly over the years, as we know, these brands who would have maybe three season cycles in a year are having like, you know, a cycle every day or every week. You know, so H&M claims that it, it replenishes its uh, shelves every day. Every day you can come and find something new. So, so basically this, uh, this comes from enormous greed for extreme profits. And I use the word extreme intentionally. These are not normal size profits. These are outsized extreme profits for this. You have to almost replenish your sh shelves every day because you have to tell the consumer to come and buy every day so that you can make more profit. So it's basically not just about the toxicity of the materials that go into the production, but also overproduction and then pushing overconsumption. And as we know, then, you know, consumers on their side are also not millionaires, all of them. So they are also going into debt buying all this so it's not just the problem of the workers it's also the problem of the consumer but since um, i'm on the labor side i'm of course focusing on workers who are definitely suffering the most because they are at the bottom of the supply chain but i want hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. To speak on behalf of the consumer again, and I want to say consumerism is changing, and this is the right time. This is the right period. And I think for the first time, we actually have a right period where we can change the discourse. And we change the discourse from the consumer's point of view. And I think campaigns like Who Made My Clothes? And the use, a good use of social media is where we get to start people questioning who, where did this come from? And I'm also very curious to know about labeling. How is it that when a product is fully embroidered, embellished, created by artisans in India, it has a label that says made in Italy or made in France? So this is an area that would be interesting to study to see what are the laws that regulate labeling, because we do look at our labels. We look at it to see the wash care. We look at it for other reasons. I think that goes to the heart of the point that Ananya raised around um, the power imbalance, mm-hmm. that the, the people who, who make these clothes, who have the skills, the artisans are not the ones who are recognized and not the ones who are given value within our globalized supply chain. And that helps contribute to this you know, vast problem that we're talking about. But so one thing I'm curious about, you know, we, we've talked about what this problem is, that it's really longstanding. Everyone sort of seems to have pretty good ideas of the kind of things that are needed to change this and make things better. And we've also talked about how there's a lot of consumer pressure to make change. So why aren't we seeing more, more progress? I, I'm curious if you have a view on what are the barriers here? Why aren't things changing? I mean, I have one third answer, money. You know, why are things changing? It's money. It all comes down to that. I mean, you know, so much of 
what Anania was saying, I 100% agree with, you know, as we have been beating the drum to socialize sustainability, get everyday people to care, to recognize that it's high skill labor behind their clothes, you've started to see brands on the other hand really co-opt those sustainably woke citizens to sell them more products. Suddenly we've got, you know, sustainable materials and circularity and capsule collection here and there. And, you know, to Ritu's point, there is no regulation around labeling. You know, anyone can slap a sustainability label on their product. So even for the well-meaning customer who's out there trying to do right and really wear their values and you know purchase from an ethical brand it's hard to know we pick up a lot of confusion around you know is this brand sustainable is that brand sustainable because it turns out they're all labeling themselves as such and so i think first and foremost you know it really starts with language and we know this with any fight that we have ahead of us and so as you know, Sarah, we say garment makers, we don't say workers, because for too long, workers have been dehumanized in the supply chain. It's a cost center, it's far away somewhere. We're looking at costing sheets and trying to squeeze it down to the last penny or cent. And so it's to reframe the conversation to say labor, whether sitting on a factory floor or whether a carrier or an artisan is high skilled work. And so, you know, make it open costing. Why is it that FOB price is so hidden today? Why is it that a brand gets to decide what the price is? And then guess what? If you don't bring it down to the last penny, they're going to go to the next factory over there and, you know, really play up this asymmetry of power. So I really think our work, you know, as sitting here in the Western market is cutting through some of that sustainability clutter and using very simple language for people to say, if you care about sustainability, it really comes down to two things, climate justice and gender justice. And the way we're going to achieve those two things is through living wages and degrowth. And unless a brand is talking about those two things, we're going to get nowhere. And it turns out that no business, especially in the ultra pandemic profits, as we've seen to an Ananias point, the inequity in the industry is so clear. You know, the volume of profit that brands who canceled orders have made over the last year completely rings home the point that there are certain billionaires sitting at the at the very top for which the system works. And whether retail worker, wholesale worker or garment worker, the system is not working. And so what we're really needing is solidarity. What we're needing is, you know, really a pushback to unions because we know that voluntary efforts do not work. Codes of conduct and auditing do not work. And to really recenter the language around wages. I think it's really striking that when you break it down like that, it's it's basic. It's, you know, pay people enough to live on and give them credit for their work and give them a voice. And it's sort of striking that something that when you boil it down is, like you say, something that has been in the in the atmosphere, something we talked about for generations, we still haven't achieved. But I did just want to get into one tension you raised that Aisha, which I think is important as we think about this going forward. How do we achieve justice for our makers as well as uh, degrowth? You know, how do we ensure as we're looking towards operating the industry in a more environmentally sustainably way that we move towards a just transition? that people who are working in the industry now are not squeezed out by technologies 
that the language we use to justify operating in a more responsible manner isn't actually destroying livelihoods. I would just say that this dichotomy um, and in some ways a falsehood that the industry has perpetuated that, you know, we need sweatshops and we need the pillage of natural resources and women working at this inhumane rate because we at least we are creating jobs. And at least these are sweatshop jobs are better than no jobs because it turns out that if you were paying a living wage, if you did operate in a humane pace of production, you would be leaving a generation of women and artisans better off. And what that means is that as automation comes, and it is here, and some of these jobs go away, you're lifting a generation of women out of poverty, rather than simply enriching the you know white CEOs that sit at the very top. So in my mind, you know, it's a $2.6 trillion industry. The money is there. It's just the equitable sharing and the recognition that this is high skilled work that is constantly dehumanized is the question that we have to tackle. And I think with degrowth, the only thing that I see is a need even sooner and faster to push for living wages because it is a race against time because we cannot, we aren't going to operate in the kind of model of putting out this volume of product, you know, our earth can't sustain it. And as we think about the vintage market and the secondhand market and the way those are growing and to be thinking about fashion as a service rather than a good, it's to say, well, what's to happen to most of the women in our part of the world where our economies heavily rely on these jobs. And so to me, that simply means that the living wage conversation has to be urgent. Yeah, I think it's that really interesting balance between, as you said at the beginning, or two, uh, an opportunity created by the focus and the setback from the economic impact. And I think that's also the complexity that we haven't really delved into here, but we should address um, around what's happening in China at the moment and the fact that you are now seeing an incredibly powerful market put pressure on brands to continue to operate in a place where I think most most Western organizations have said it's not morally acceptable to operate in. And I think that's a new challenge for brands to navigate. I think the moral question here for Western brands is, are you wanting to follow the money? And, you know, knowing how important China is from a market, continue to operate there? Or are you going to be on the right side of history? And we have certainly seen in the last 48 hours brands who have taken down their statements, who have diluted their statements around whether or not they're operating in that area. And it's simply because, you know, they want the Chinese market open to them. So essentially, the industry has played this dangerous dance of being in places where you don't have rule of law, where you don't have enforcement. And now you have this conundrum of, well, human rights abuses, you know, how far are you willing to go in order to continue to expand your bottom line? Yeah. And I think it speaks to this really interesting complexity when we when we talk about the push from consumers, because geographically, consumers have very different push factors. I mean, um, you know, the citizens in China and the influences in China pushing back on the brands who have these absolutely. statements. So, yes, absolutely. And, you know, within Remake, we really try to socialize people to be thinking of themselves as citizens first and consumers second. Because the truth is, we're not going to consume our way into a sustainable fashion future. The only way for us to be thinking about these issues is from a citizen standpoint, to be standing in solidarity with workers around the world. But 
I, I tell you, there are there are days I'm very hopeful when I see you know the solidarity we've seen with retail workers, wholesale workers here in the U.S. You know, locking arms with garment workers around the world and the fight. You know, the the fiery way that these women, barely in their twenties, in Myanmar, were telling us, you know, we are going to fight for our democracy. And and Ananya, I'd be really curious to you know, as as, as a labor organizer, I'd be really curious to get your perspective on on the opportunity versus risk situation here? Well, I think that this is actually a time for, uh, this is a time of opportunity and radical change. That's what I have been saying, that in a time of crisis, we tend to become more timid and think of incremental change because things are so bad. But precisely because things are so bad, and the fault uh, lines have been exposed so starkly that we have a much more educated population in general. Um, and a lot of hidden things have come forth to and, and become visible. So it is also an easier time to have certain conversations in bigger spaces than were than was formerly possible. So I think that my my suggestion these days, this is what I keep saying, is that we should not be retreating from our goals. In fact, we should push forward with much more determination and by no means should we slow down or reduce our ambitions around the world that we want to see. Freedom of association is extremely important and I see every day how the brands are really uh, colluding with suppliers to create a coercive workplace and keep unions out at the same time that they claim that they are supporting freedom of association. So I think our, uh, our ability to measure uh, brands' commitment to freedom of association um, these, our, our ability to gauge their commitment has to become sharper and uh, so this is th this is a time to move forward ambitiously and aggressively on all fronts, uh, keeping in mind the goals that we have treasured for some time now. I think that's a really optimistic and powerful note to end on. Thank you, Ritu Ananya and Aisha, so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I know it was a lot to pack in in a short time and we could as always keep talking for a lot longer but this this has been so interesting thank you so much if you're not yet a bof professional member podcast listeners can benefit from a 25 percent discount on your first year of an annual membership using the code podcast pro that's podcast p-r-o BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Venetia Van Horn Alcama, Kate Vartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF Studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. 
I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.